and welcome to a newsflash episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the real estate law specialist. As always, I'm joined by our head of legal training, Richard Snape. Hello, Lizzie. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good for a Friday morning. It's pouring down here and gone cold again. Yeah, it's not raining, but it's not um, it's not the sun that you'd expect in nearing August. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, so we're here to talk about a construction case, actually, um, relating to the Building Safety Act and changes to the Defective Premises Act. Um, and the case is URS Corporation Limited and BDW Trading Limited. Um, it's Court of Appeal from July the 5th, so beginning of this month. Um, and this one's caused a bit of a stir. Do you want to start by just telling us a bit of the, the background law and what the changes were that this related to? Yeah, it's uh, on the face of it, it's a very important case. And it's the first uh, well, Court of Appeal case post the, the Building Safety Act changes. I mean, the Defective Premises Act is a 1972 piece of legislation, which has been around, it came in in 1974. And it's specifically about Section 1, Subsection 1, which do you want me to quote or paraphrase? Why not? Uh, it basically, I say it will be a paraphrase and perhaps come back to some other parts of the quote shortly. Uh, but it says that the person taking on work for or in connection with the provision of a dwelling owes a duty to see that the work is done in a workmanlike and professional manner so that it's fit for human habitation at the beginning. Um, and originally, there were quite you know, a few limitations to the, the Defective Premises Act. For instance, originally, I'll tell you what the changes were. Uh, well, originally, there'd been a case, for instance, Jensen and Foe, F-A-U-X, from 2011, Court of Appeal case, that said it applies to defective building work and defective um, conversions, but not refurbishment work. And that was changed by the, the Building Safety Act, uh, provisions came into force uh, on June the 28th um, of last year, 2022. But more significantly, uh, there was a six-year limitation period to bring in claims in the original Defective Premises Act, and six years is not a long time. Lots of defects don't show up for, for over six years. Uh, and um, I remember there was a case called um, Sports City and Countryside from Manchester, uh, which uh, Sport City was the athletes' village for the 2002 Commonwealth Games. Uh, and not today, but on a clear day, I can see the bright lights of South Manchester from where I sit here in Cheshire. Uh, but um, they, um, in that particular case, there was defective, uh, various defects, but amongst other things, cladding, not combustible cladding, it's just falling on people. Uh, and Countryside did the remedial work within six years, but then the remedial work needed to be done more than six years after the initial issues, and uh, it was held there was no claim. The um, Building Safety Act, uh, Section 135, changed all that. Uh, If the defects occurred prior to June the 28th, 2022, there's a 30-year limitation period. If they occurred from June the 28th, 2022, it's a 15-year limitation period. And that was one of the major issues in relation to this case. It's probably also worth mentioning, it wasn't an issue in in URS and BDW, is that uh, if the builder is no longer in existence, uh, which is quite likely to be the case 30 years later, they set up companies for that individual development, 
then any associate, or you can go off anybody who suffers loss, can go to the High Court for building liability order, rendering any associate liable, which is a pretty novel thing. But that's some of the, the background law. There are a few other issues besides in it, but do you want me to tell you the facts, the background to all this? Yeah, let's move on to the case. Thank you. Uh, but, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, URS, uh, well, they've been taken over subsequently, but they uh, it's United Research Services. They're, they're property designers and consultants, uh, very, very big ones um, in America. I say they've been taken over recently. And they were the, basically taken over various uh, businesses that have been designing blocks for, for BDW over the years. BDW is... Is uh, well, it's various again builders Barrett, David Wilson, Holmes, and Barrett's a BDW, uh, and a few others besides. It concerns two developments one was uh, some flats in the Isle of Dogs in, in, in London called Capital East, and I was five blocks of 10 to 18 story blocks, uh, and another one was called Freeman's Meadow. Meadows in, in Leicester. Uh, Capital East have been completed, the practical completion of the various blocks by 2008. And Freeman's Meadow was uh, sometime between 2005 and 12, the various, there were seven different blocks there. Barrett's uh, ceased to have any interest in these various properties in 2015. Uh, it's uh, it's like many things in the world of developments at the moment. It's all sort of post-Grenfell. Grenfell was in June of 2017. And after Grenfell, uh, Barrett's, even though they hadn't got any proprietary interest in the property, developers do this. You know, sort of, you know, what the bad publicity, and I suppose there is a bit of a moral obligation as well. But they checked over the buildings; no physical defects had shown up, but they found several, you know, sort of defects, significant defects. And one of them, there was a, a structural slab that had a huge crack in it. Obviously, a design defect. One of the blocks in um, in Capital East in, in London uh, had to actually be evacuated. So. Shows you how significant it was. And they spent millions of pounds, did Barrett's, um, doing remedial work on these premises and basically wanted the money back from uh, URS, the designers. They were design defects. So what did the Court of Appeal decide on this? Well, there were several issues. I mean, it's, um, it's a fairly complex case, but it's a highly significant case. Significant case. It was... Um, there were three different uh, first instance decisions that were being appealed. You know, the first instance decisions were from 2021. And in the interim, the Building Safety Act had changed all the limitation periods, as we mentioned. The first argument that, uh, I don't deal with all the arguments, but the first argument that URS um, put forward as to why they wouldn't be liable, you know, the, the sort of limitation, you know, the liability would have occurred when uh, Barrett's found out about the defects, which was 2019, as I said, by which time they didn't have a proprietary interest in the property and therefore you know, they couldn't make a claim. Uh, and the court decided that if there's no physical damage, then the actual time period, you know, for the, the limitation time period, starts when no well at the latest practical completion of the property which was you know 2008 or 2012 for Leicester and so they did have a proprietary interest that made the, meant they could bring the claim and the fact that uh, you know they were claiming things like economic loss was established you can claim that against designers 
They also tried to argue that uh, Barrett's had no obligation to, to actually remedy the defects. They'd walked out by this time and the court decided that you could still make a claim uh, in damages for that. Um, they, perhaps very significantly in terms of the Defective Premises Act, they tried to argue, URS, that uh, the uh, well, the legislation from, this, they, from the first instance decisions, they... Um, successfully amended their their pleadings I and mean, they basically said that the legislation is retrospective that's quite clear in the legislation changing the limitation periods uh URS tried to argue well that can't be the case if we've already initiated proceedings and the court of appeal decided it, it still is the case and they also tried to argue that uh the Defective Premises Act Section 1 only applies, you know, to lay people. You know, it's not envisaged that uh, people like developers can make claims. Section 1 says, as part of this I am um, paraphrased and dropped, but it says that um, if the dwelling is provided to the order of any person, you can make a claim, or if you've got a legal or equitable estate or interest, you can make a claim. So that it was being provided to the order of... Uh, of uh, PDW. And they tried to argue that it does it applies, you know, section one applies to dwellings, and this wasn't a dwelling, it's a development. And the court said it is a you know, the dwellings, it's a development of dwellings. So uh BDW could make their successful claim uh for millions of pounds. There's something else actually, which I'll leave for the you know the, the tort lawyers a little bit more, but uh they successfully uh claimed that um the Civil Liability Contribution Act of 1978 applied uh, in that uh, if Barrett gets sued by by any of the property owners, they, they can ask for a contribution from URS, even though none of the property owners had actually made claims yet, you know, dealing with it in the future if it happens. And it is significant that um, BDW uh, both owed a duty you know, to various people, but also were owed, owed duties. Developers are owed duties by people like architects and designers under the Defective Premises Act. Well, are there any other implications from this that you can think of? Well, I mean, it was, uh, the major judgment was Lord Justice Colson, and he's, uh, he, well, so it was only an overjust statement rather than part of the decision. But he intimated that uh, people like subcontractors could owe duties to developers. They don't have contracts directly with the developers. And it's always assumed to have been pure economic loss. It's Murphy and Brentwood is the case, that you can't claim for pure economic loss. Uh, you know, the fact that your building is not as valuable as you thought. But they seem to suggest, or the judge seemed to suggest, that wouldn't be the case under the Defective Premises Act, which is highly significant. And I suppose the other thing is uh, Section 6, Subsection 3 of the Defective Premises Act basically says you can't exclude liability under the Act. That suggests that any contractual provisions excluding and limiting liability would be void. Uh, it is very, very significant case. And that's it, Lizzie, for another time. Thank you very much, Richard, and thank you to everybody for listening. We'll see you again in our next episode.